0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife As Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Sid, and good morning again. Our staff and spouses uh, are involved in discipleship, uh, leadership, ministry weekend uh, out in uh, Nordegg. So you'll notice most of our staff are away uh, this weekend. And uh, so so glad that they have this unique experience of learning and growing and being together with other uh, leaders from across the province. So glad you're here today on uh, Father's Day. By now, if you're uh, following along in uh, the letter to the Ephesians, your Bible just opens right up to uh, this awesome letter in the New Testament. Our series is called Deeper. Uh, pastor Quinn, uh, our youth pastor, brought the message last week. And we had our, our youth worship team over at Southwest last week. And uh, Pastor Quinn brought the message uh, and uh, did such a great job. Uh, he uh, is doing such an awesome job in youth ministry. Selena is from the Southwest Congregation. She partners with him in ministry as well. And uh, uh, in addition to that, a wonderful, wonderful group of volunteers. Well, this morning we're going to park ourselves uh, in a piece of Scripture that's filled with IEDs. Do you know what that is? They're called improvised explosive devices. (laughs) Uh, We sometimes just call them roadside bombs. Uh, A few months ago, I did a funeral for a man who invented a a massive machine to clear IEDs in places like Afghanistan uh, and Cambodia and other war-torn nations. And he developed a prototype for a machine uh, that the military uh, and others can use to ensure the safety of people and vehicles as they move from one part of the country to another in regions that have been part of uh, uh, war as part of their history. And so it clears the road. And this machine uh, somehow extracts IEDs, and if they blow up, the machine is built uh, strongly enough to withstand the explosion. So it's quite a little invention. We're in a section of scripture uh, right now that is filled with cultural landmines. Uh, we hear a lot of different messages in our day about marriage, about family, uh, about our identity. And I want us to remember as we read this passage, as Sid has read it for us, that it is God's direction and for all creation. And this is great advice for what he wants to teach us But we have to especially remember that it's written for these new believers in Ephesus who were trying to find their way in so many areas of life. Uh, And everything was new to them. Marriage was also new to them in terms of them living according to God's wisdom and God's counsel. Uh, That was all new to them. They'd never heard this before. We've heard it for a long time. So I know you're thinking about this, and you're kind of wondering, what is he going to say today? I've been kind of wondering the same thing myself. Uh, Well, I'm most interested in trying to say what I think the text is saying. Uh, I have drawn from many sources, and like all of us, I'm still very much a learner. Uh, I need to grow and learn and ask God, is this what you're saying? So while I have the task of unfolding the passage, I said, Sid, if you want to just bring the message right after you read the Scripture, you just go right ahead and do that. Uh, But he passed it on to me. So uh, I want to say that I'm growing and trying to hear the Lord uh, in all of this as well. So can I get your help this morning? You really do have an important part in this message today. What would be uh, of tremendous help as we approach the end of chapter 5 on the subject of marriage is that you would keep coming back to processing uh, from a biblical perspective rather than a cultural perspective. So first is to think biblically instead of culturally. If we think culturally instead of biblically, you never know where we're going to end up. So just a reminder as we approach this is to think biblically and not culturally. Does that make sense? So secondly is to think theologically instead of humanistically. What does that mean? Well, to reason from God's vantage point. Just knowing who God is to us as his people. Think first and foremost about how he wants to care for us. What his plan is to care for us. And rather than how the culture wants to direct us. Culture changes. It always changes. Uh, If you try to hang on to culture today, the pendulum will shift. And it just keeps shifting as the years go by. And sometimes it shifts to liberalism. Sometimes it shifts to legalism. And, And in our world today, it shifts all the way from the Taliban, all the way to a very liberal, anything-goes culture, where culture has kind of lost its way, and it keeps moving back and forth. So we need truth that transcends the culture. We need truth that moves beyond personal preference and beyond the best of human wisdom. And that's where God comes in through the richness of His Word. So I'm just going to say up front today that this passage is just far too big to uh, to handle in one Sunday. So this is a two-part message uh, with verse 21 being the focus in the first message and maybe just a little bit beyond that. The first thing I think is important to do is to identify the context and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the, that's the, that's the verse we start with. And the context is so important to what Paul is going to say, so I don't want you to miss this uh, context because it it lays the, the, the groundwork. Verse 21 launches a new section that covers three areas of relationships. Paul makes a general statement, and then he follows up with three scenarios. There is the husband and wife relationship, uh, in verse 21, and it goes right down to the chapter, through the end of chapter 5, right to verse 30 uh, or 33. Then there is a section in chapter uh, 6, verses 1 to 4, that speaks on the subject of parents and children. And then we move to the subject of slaves and masters. Or uh, perhaps in today's world, we'd be able to say employer-employee uh, relationships. So three categories, and by the way, uh, chapter 5, 21 to 6, chapter 6, verse 9, is referred to as the household teaching, the household teaching. Uh, Martin Luther named it 500 years ago. He called it the hostafel, which means house table, hostafel, marriage, children, and work fall within the context of a home. Life within our house. Life within our house. How to make relationships effective in our home. So he read this, and he called this the the house table, the hostafel, or the life within a home. And you know, it's actually too bad that the chapter division is placed where it is. Uh, remember, remember that... Uh, The chapter breaks are not inspired. Uh, The Bible is inspired, but the Bible wasn't written with chapter and verses. They were placed in the Bible in the early 1200s for the purpose of helping us find our way around. So if we say, turn to Romans chapter 12, we we know exactly how to get there. We turn to Romans, we find the 12th chapter, and we find the first verse, and, and we're there. But sometimes those that did the categorizing, they did their best, but maybe they had a different train of thought than, than maybe the rest of us as how we would divide that. So maybe logically the chapter break would be Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 when we begin to look at the armor of God. And then these three areas, these three categories would flow a little bit better. Anyway, we should see these three sections under one banner submission, or unselfishly caring for one another. Now these three categories are connected to verse 18. And I have to say, this is what I hadn't ever seen before. These three categories are connected to verse 18, the verse that says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul informs us of how powerfully significant it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, actually that's the launching of, of these next three categories. So I want you to catch the flow out of verse 18 when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. What will happen? Well, we'll sing. We'll, we'll sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll have a song in our heart because we're filled with the Spirit. We'll have a song in our heart. We will make music in our hearts to the Lord. So that's the first thing. The second thing that happens is our thankfulness. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will give thanks to God for everything uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be a grateful people. It comes out of the filling of the Spirit. And when we overflow with the Holy Spirit, we begin to overflow in our gratitude. You're very grateful for what God is doing in your life. And the third thing that comes out of being filled with the Spirit is our attitude, our heart. We become unselfish with one another. We give deference to one another. We yield to one another. We submit to one another. I really do like the way uh, Eugene Peterson translates this. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent, to one another. By the way, uh, verses eighteen to twenty-one is just one long sentence in the original language Greek, and it just—it's just one long flow. It begins with uh, asking us or imploring us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and out of that uh, to be grateful, and out of that to be courteously reverent to one another. Out of those verses. Or put another way, is to be unselfish to one another, to defer to one another, to be subject to one another, to be submissive to one another. Psychology Today ran an article uh, about a study of marriages that last, that endure through, through the years. And uh, men and women both cited that the most important factor in their successful marriage as simply being this, that my, my spouse is my best friend. Uh, Another one of the important factors was the give and take of marriage. The authors of the study found very few marriages that were perfectly equal. One woman married for 44 years said she would advise all young couples to be willing to give 70% and expect 30% in return. As one husband put it, uh, sometimes I give far more than I receive. And sometimes I receive far more than I give. But the wife does the same. And if we weren't willing to do that, he said, we would have broken up long ago. So it is always this give and take. Some of that give and take is just wise counsel. But I want you to see how Paul takes that now a step further. And again, I hadn't connected verse 18 to the verses on marriage, on family... And on employer-employee relationships. But it really makes sense. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, it is not hard in our relationships to defer, right? And to serve one another in the spirit of Christ. It's very difficult to serve one another when we're insisting on our own rights. It's very challenging when we come to, to say, well... Yeah, but what's in it for me? Yeah, it's all, it's all about you again. It's all about you. Or who gave you the right to make that decision? Who gave you the right to say that? Husbands and wives will much more easily defer to one another when they're filled with the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul was saying. Husbands and wives will much more easily defer to one another when they're filled with the Spirit of God. And parents and children, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, will much more easily defer to one another. They will honor one another. They will treat one another with respect. And when employers and employees are filled with the Spirit, do you think there will be major disagreements? Well, yeah, there will be, there will be lots of disagreements, but they will get worked out because they will get worked out through the leading of the Holy Spirit, And God's Spirit will lead and people will listen to one another because they want to honor one another and they will encourage one another and they will do their best to work out suitable arrangements so that everyone uh, benefits. All of the house to fell, the household living, depends on the outflow of verse 18 Being filled with the Spirit. Now that flows into our homes and makes such a difference in the way we relate to one another. Now, Paul wants us to see how all of this is played out in our relationships. So, secondly, let's look at the issues. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways uh, that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now I'm encouraging you to think biblically as we come to a couple of issues that need to be underscored from the passage. These verses are hot buttons today. For many, because we all bring a certain bias with us. We might bring a sexual bias to the passage. And it comes out of what we see in our world. The mistreatment of women the world over. The Me Too movement has caught on because women have said, This is enough. This is enough. We won't be pushed around anymore. And so we use, you can take that off now. We can use terms like chauvinism, which the dictionary says is contempt for the opposite sex. Maybe some of you grew up in a home like that, that the, the respect was not there. There's also feminism, which feels uh, that the church or marketplace denies uh, woman uh, women her, her equal status because of her gender. And, and then we come from all different religious backgrounds and cultural backgrounds, and, and differences within the Christian faith, and differences in world faith, Muslims and Hindus and so on. And we, we all look to models of submission that we've experienced, whether positive or negative. So whatever cultural background we were raised in, it has an impact on how we view uh, our house to fell, our household of faith. And that's why it's important to hear the scriptural uh, role on this and how that plays out. So the first word is submission. Let's just start with this word and just look at it for a moment. It's one of the IEDs. Unfortunately, a very good word at one time has now been branded negatively and used negatively and oftentimes very legitimately uh, uh, And, and because, because women have been Taken advantage of, and there has been abuse because of that word. We started with verse 21. We need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Without the Spirit of God, it's impossible to submit in the sense that the Bible calls us to submit. The book of Romans says the sinful mind is hostile to God, it does not submit to God. Jesus submitted to God 30 years in Nazareth, remember? Learning carpentry is a time, Father. Not yet. Father, can I go now? Not yet. Not yet. 30 years he submitted to the Father. Then it was time. And he had three years of intensive ministry. And in those three years, he dealt with all kinds of stuff. Leprosy, little children, sickness, men who were not well mentally, religious opponents, And every day he brought his best and he submitted to the Father. And he listened to the Father and then he went out and he obeyed the Father. And whatever the Father wanted him to do, he did it. And remember in the upper room, he stripped to the waist, he tied a towel around himself and he washed his disciples' feet. That was submission. He was teaching them to be servants. And of course, what was his greatest act of submission? when he went to the cross. Do you remember what he said to the group of soldiers and religious leaders who came to him to capture him in the garden of Gethsemane? He said, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? See, he's submitting to his father's will. So if you want to know what submission looks like, look at the cross. And already you can see the husband's part in submission. We're under the same caption called submission. For the husband, what does submission look like? For the for for him, it looks like what Jesus did on the cross. Verse twenty five, he gave up his life to make her holy and clean. But men and women alike are called to submit to the same spirit and be full of the spirit before any submission can occur. So what does submission really mean? It means to give way to one another. It means to defer to another. Giving way to somebody else, and Paul outlines what that looks like in the hostafel, in the household of the Christian family. What would that look like in Paul's day? In Ephesians. Well, it would certainly look different than the environment in which Paul was living and the Ephesians were living. Paul's perspective was so totally foreign to first century living. It was total male domination. A father could make his own decision to sell off his 13-year-old daughter. No questions asked. And what Paul said brought incredible liberation. You can just imagine the suspicion in the first century when little churches started to emerge with this kind of teaching on courteous living. What? What are you talking about? Out of respect for Christ? Be courteously referent to one another? Giving way to somebody else? That was just unheard of. What? A husband? Come on. Giving way to his wife? A father and mother giving some way to their children. They care for them. They listen to them. They say, what is your thought on that? And children caring for their parents. And masters becoming submissive to their slaves. What are you talking about? And slaves giving way to their masters because they actually want to. And employers giving way to employees to say, what could I do to serve you? What is this? It was the talk of the town. No one had ever heard of this before. It brought hope and refreshing breezes to the landscape. It was so incredibly different from anything they'd ever heard of. So in verse 21, this word submit comes from the Greek word hypotasso It means to arrange in rank under. It's actually a military term. It means to take your post. Uh, please look at the whole verse, verse 21, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So everybody take your post. Everybody take your post. What does it mean? It means if we're followers of Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, we're not in competition with one another. We're not out to get our own way. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. That means as men... We don't dominate over women. That means as women, we don't dominate over men. It means as teenagers, we're not resisting in our behavior with our parents. But instead, we're respectful to them. And we're willing to talk. And we're willing to listen. And we're willing to have some give and take. And we don't treat our kids unfairly. Dads, that we don't exasperate our kids. We don't embarrass our kids or fail to honor them. And in the same token, our kids don't fail to honor us as parents. And it means as employees that we are courteously reverent to our employers. And as employers, we are gracious and respectful uh, and giving towards our employees. One writer called it hilarious haputaso. Where we we submit to one another graciously and lovingly. Not that we have to, but that we want to hilariously. Literally the word submit in verse 23 means to, to place yourself in submission, to sit down on the inside as well as on the outside. Sometimes we're forced to submit on the outside because the guy's bigger than us and he's stronger than us. But this is a voluntary sitting down because you want to. It's not standing up on the outside uh, uh, are sitting down on the outside, but really we're standing up on the inside, mumbling under our breath, I hate this, I hate this, because we don't want to. Courteously reverent. A Christian couple, they moved into a new home. They're pretty excited for their new home, first new home that they've ever had. And uh, they had not been in the house more than a day when uh, the man chanced to meet their next door neighbor out in the yard. And the first thing the neighbor did was to to ball him out for some minor inconvenience which had erupted or that had happened during the move and he parked too close to his driveway or something like that. And so he was mad. And uh, there was something else that happened and he... He threatened his brand-new neighbor with a lawsuit. Uh, so the man, this this new owner of this home, went back into the house, and uh, he was really heavy-hearted and told his wife about it, realizing that th- this was their dream home. And they had bought it, but they hadn't been aware that they had a very cantankerous neighbor. You know, how do you know to check out your neighbors when you buy a house? Like, who lives next door? I guess we should do a little research on that. But he didn't, he didn't, and now all of a sudden they have a new home and a cantankerous neighbor. And now he planned to live there for the rest of his life. What was he going to do? He confessed that he felt a very natural reaction to allow a wall of exclusion, of silence to be built, to have nothing to do with the neighbor. you just stay over at your side, I'll stay over in my side. His wife was concerned about that too, and they were praying about what to do. A day or two later, she was baking a pie, and it suddenly occurred to her to make a pie for her neighbor and to take it over. That's one of those whispers of the Holy Spirit. When you get one of those nudges, you pay attention to it. So she baked a beautiful pie, and at lunchtime, she took it over to the neighbor's house, and she fearfully rang the doorbell. When the woman came to the door, her face set in hard, unyielding lines, the Christian woman greeted her and said, you know, I was baking a cake uh, or a pie today and I thought of you folks and I thought maybe you'd like to have a pie so I just brought this over. The neighbor took it and thanked her formally and went back inside. But an hour later, the phone rang and there was the neighbor lady calling up to thank her for the pie. She said, that happens to be my husband's favorite pie. He loves lemon meringue pie. And on the spur of the moment, the Christian lady says, well, that's wonderful. Why don't you come over to dinner tomorrow night? There was almost an audible gasp on the other end of the line. And the neighbor lady says, well, I'll ask my husband. In a little while, she called back and said, yes, we'd love to come over. So the last report was that the four of them were going out for a ride together and the neighbor couple had already made some inquiries as to where the others went to church suggesting that they just might go with them. This is exactly what Paul means. Subject yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And who knows... The benefits and the the pattern and the blessings that come out of this. The world is waiting to see a demonstration of this kind of deference. They don't understand this. And they cannot grasp the importance of it until they see it in action among Christians. So the word submit has taken on negative connotations uh, since Paul wrote these words. So we we, we, we think some kind of law is being forced on us. Submit. The original meaning of the word submit has more to do with a radical decision to act unselfishly towards others. So when you hear the word submission, think radical un, uh, unselfishness. Think blessing others. Think giving deference. Think courteously reference. Uh, and, and then think how I can bless him. And that he'll under, need to understand how God wants him To bless his wife. And of course that's next week. We'll get to that. The second word though I want you to hear today. Before we close. Is the word head. Uh, This is a word that gets underscored. In these words from Paul. It is the word head. In verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife. As Christ is the head of the church. Now the debate here. Is over the meaning of the word head. It is kephal, uh, pronounced kephal in the Greek. When you translate it from Greek to the English, there are differences of thought. Before Marg and I were married, Marg and her mother were in a, in a minor car accident in Medicine Hat, Alberta. I just happened to be driving downtown at the moment, and I saw this car accident, and... Uh, I parked my car and ran over because I had no idea who was in the car. And to my surprise, it was it was Marg and her mom, and uh, they were kind of shocked. And uh, uh, traffic had blocked up, and uh, and her mom excitedly told me to go to the flat to pick up something. I'd never heard the term flat before; it was a new term for me. She meant an apartment. I had no idea. Uh, so And she said, it's by the Royal Bank. And I, I took off trying to find the flat beside the Royal Bank. And I didn't know what I was looking for. Uh, the panic of the moment. We use a word in the Greek language, but we're not exactly sure what is meant by it. It can have two meanings. And today in our Christian understanding, the word kefal is probably split somewhere around the middle by followers of Christ. Some see it one way and some see it the other way. So in Greek, the word head is used as source or origin. It's also used to mean authority or ruler. It legitimately has both meanings. And it has strong voices on both sides. What does it mean? Well, this verse gets interpreted from both points of views. But here's what I want to say. I don't believe it changes the message that Paul is sharing but it helps to know how others view this, and you can understand what people, how people process this. When we think of the word meaning source or origin, we think more in terms of how husband and wife live together, valuing one another as equals. It's working together, it's serving together to honor one another. Now, there are many who believe the word means authority. Authority that there is a divine hierarchy. We are under Christ's authority and we come under his headship and in the relationship of husband and wife there is a similar hierarchy. The woman is under the authority of the man and submits to his headship even as the husband submits to, to the headship of Jesus Christ. So headship is making decisions, giving leadership, especially in the home and the family. Now regardless of what your viewpoint on this is, we're not removed from either perspective of what Paul really wants to say to us. And this is what I don't want us to miss. The point of the passage, by jumping onto one, pers- one view or the other, it doesn't negate the point. Cherish one another. Be courteously reverent to each other. Neither understanding allows the husband to be domineering of his wife. If you are abusive of your wife, it is not right. It is sinful. If you take unfair advantage of your wife, it is wrong. If you take unfair advantage of your children and expect of them something that God would not expect, that is unfair and wrong. If you create hardship for your employees because you have the power, it is wrong. So there are limits to submission and being courteously reverent. When you have to obey God, when you have to disobey God to continue in relationship to your spouse, that's a limit. And that is specifically well phrased from Eugene Peterson, as he translates these verses, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership for his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should submit to their husbands. What we have here is mutual hupotasso. We are submitting to one another out of courteous reference to one another. Now, it would be really easy just to kind of miss the key words in this passage, verse 21, and I'll just mention them, out of reverence for Christ. Those are key words. Verse 22, as to the Lord. What I know about my own marriage uh, is that God has given me a wonderful partner and my role is to treat her as my equal and to be a blessing in helping her to find her strengths, to nourish her and to cherish her for who God made her to be. We bring different strengths to the marriage and uh, in our relationship and in our life calling. She respects me i respect her and together we share that journey of being courteously reverent to one another now it never means that our relationship is free from conflict no not at all Uh, we still have to come back to one another and say i'm sorry Is not honoring you as I should I found myself texting this week saying I'm sorry I'm sorry I said that that was wrong marriage what was God thinking what was he thinking our faces are a little more grim than usual Uh, And I know the wheels are turning. I know you're thinking about a lot of things. A lot of things that I didn't cover. Uh, And you no doubt are looking from a perspective of being hurt, perhaps. Or someone you love has been hurt. And how does all this come together? I get it. I get it. And my heart goes out to you. To live this out is a whole different thing than to say it. To live this out is just a whole different thing than to say it. Because it's the day by day by day. Hupotasso. Submitting to one another. So let's let's stand and let's pray together. Father, this has been a challenging teaching for us. And we come with our scars. And we come with our pain. And. Some come as victims of a difficult past. Some, some are trying to build back trust again. And Lord, uh, we know we know how all of this came about. It, we, we've been impacted by the fall. And there is an old nature within us that battles hard continually. So maybe we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit so that the life of Jesus Christ is evident in us. We need your power to live this kind of unselfish caring for one another. So take these words, I pray, this morning, Father. And just refresh us and bring encouragement and blessing. Thank you for our family here. Thank you for the patterns that you have established for us. May we be faithful to walk in the way that you have established. We pray in the strong name of Jesus.